Good morning, Redeemer Church. I can see surprises on some of your faces. That's how I know you haven't read your email. Um, uh, if you are meeting me for the first time this morning, my name is Chinedu Samuel uh, Iwuchuku, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, this morning, we will be uh, delving into God's Word. We'll be looking at Romans uh, chapter 8 from verse 18 to 25. So I would encourage you to keep your Bible open as we go through the, the text. Let me pray for us once again. Father, we pray that the entrance of your word will give light and understanding to the simple. We pray that would you teach us. And we thank you again for the hope we have in Christ. The hope that promises us um, today, the hope that promises us eternity. Speak uh, through me by your spirit. We pray that your word will come out clear, convicting, and encouraging to many who are here. We'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could uh, juggle our memory a bit and ask, what is that one conversation or what is that one uh, meeting that you are in that in many ways solidifies your transition to UAE? And for some of us, we were born here, so this may not be a reality for you. Um, and for some of us, it's been a long time that in many ways we don't even remember. I know we do have conversations about transition, but there is a conversation that puts UAE in your radar and makes it a place that you want to move to. For some people, it's a promise of a better job, you know, a vision for ministry, an investment opportunity that's there. And for some Africans like myself, it's a promise that of a better life. You know, beyond the better life, it's also a pathway to transition to the West. That's, in our context, is the greatest place in the world. What is that promise? What is that assurance that motivated your decision to move to UAE? So the truth is that most of us, if not all of us, seek some assurance. We, we, we desire some confidence in what we are pursuing. But the question is, where are you seeking for assurance in life? Where is your hope in? See, at this point in the book of Romans, one thing Paul readers want to hear is an assurance. One thing they desire is a motivation for them to continue in the ministry and mission. So as we continue to examine the book, there, there is a central theme that the whole book of Romans is anchored on. There are other themes that we see, and that theme is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And the apostle is confident in this truth. Uh, but more than his affirmed confidence, it, it's a desire and a longing to see that his readers could boldly affirm the same thing 
as well as an invitation for them to come along in partnership with him on the mission that he's on. But the question again is, why would anyone commit uh, to not just believing, but following Paul on this mission without an assurance? What's the need for them? And I believe this desire for assurance is at the back of Paul's mind as he writes a verse this morning, uh, the assurance that there is hope in suffering with Christ. So if you're taking note, here is what our main theme is, and a question we want to answer as we walk through our text. It says, what is our hope in suffering? What is our hope? And we're going to break this down in three different themes. One is glory greater than suffering, we we'll see in verse 18. In verse 19 to 22, the second point is the whole creation suffers in hope. And the third point, believers suffer in hope for glory. So let's look at our first point together. And we begin by asking the question, why is there suffering? Why is there suffering in this world? We all ask this question. We, we want an answer to it. Genuinely, we desire an answer to why is there suffering? Because suffering is something we don't want to experience. We don't want to see our loved ones suffer. And I'm sure no one willingly volunteers to suffer without an assurance. Because in reality, suffering produces pain. And this pain could look different for, dif for different people. It could be the pain of illness and sickness we experience in our body. It could be the pain of loneliness, which is a reality for many of us in this part of the world. We are away from family. Some of us are lonely. Could be the pain of uncertainty of life, trauma, depression, the pains we go through when relationships don't work, the pain we experience when you or we are bullied and sometimes don't feel like we fit in, oppressions you face from your employer from work. So there is pain. And even for us as believers, we face even some level of pain and experience in suffering. That as children of God, many of us have been rejected by our families. Many of us have been persecuted for the sake of our faith. Children being rejected by their parents for the sake of the gospel. I want the pain of death or losing loved ones. And in all honesty, this pain sometimes could cause us to ask God, where are you? There is pain. Just recently in Nigeria, um, when I was visiting, Christmas Eve, 160 Christians killed in the northern part of the country for just being Christians. 
So to ask the question, where is our assurance in the face of all of this? Friends, suffering and pain is a reality. The question is, what kind of suffering are you presently experiencing? And why, where do you find hope in that suffering? Where do you anchor your hope? And I'm saying that, that there is no doubt that we must continue to pray for momentary relief. We want to pray for the sick to be healed. We want to pray to God to comfort those who are bereaved and and lost loved ones. We want to pray for an immediate answer to our suffering. We want to continue to do that. But the scripture is clear in many ways, and which may sound very uncomfortable to to many of us. The scripture is clear that as God's children, we will experience suffering of some kind. At different times, we will experience pain. But nevertheless, the message Paul is teasing to us this morning is that though we suffer, the best is yet to come. The future prospect, what awaits us, is so glorious we can hope. And it is true that when you look at chapter 8, the same passage we are looking at, verse 1 to 17, there are promise Paul shows us and, and tells us that we have. There are, there, Paul reminds us that we have the indwelling of the Spirit and we have an honored position in God's family. But Paul, as he concludes verse 17, introduces a theme of suffering, which is a significant aspect of his life. Read with me to in verse 17. Look at it. With me, and if children, then hers, hers of God and fellow hers with Christ, provided we suffer. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering is inevitable when you are united with Christ. And in case you're wondering what makes the prosperity preaching quite attractive, it it lies partly in the diluted theology on suffering. The idea is that God has not called you to suffer, so you would have everything you need. But that's not true. That's not what we see in this passage. Suffering is a reality. And as God's children, we would experience it. Paul's message to believers in Rome, and even to us today as we are seated here, is that of course we will suffer, but the suffering will be worth it. In fact, it will more than worth it. Why? Because despite our suffering, there is a glorious future that is awaiting us. Listen to verse 18 again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul speaks from a place of personal conviction and a personal experience. Because when we look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 27, we see the experience Paul had and the suffering he had gone through. So to him, the affliction, the torment, the torture, the mutilation, the death believers are facing in Rome from the Roman rulers, 
the cost of losing loved ones, the agony of fellow Gentiles who do not believe in Christ is worth it. Why? Because of what is to be revealed. And he said much the same thing as we, if we look at Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us as far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Friends, it is worth it. It is worth it because after suffering comes glorification. So no matter what you are going through, no matter what you have gone through, no matter what you will go through, put together, weighed on a scale, is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. The future glory we await, we are yet to see. But the scripture gives us, teases us, and gives us some hint of what this future glory is going to look like. We are waiting for new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, we see this in 2 Peter 3.13. We are waiting to be at a place where there shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21.4. We eagerly await for the full redemption of our bodies. I will see later in verse 23. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 43, the author reminds us that the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has here, let him hear. There is a glorious future that awaits us. This awaits us even as we groan in pain today. So they lead us to our second point. The whole creation suffer in hope. In verse 19 to 22, Paul says, the full manifestation of what is to be revealed is not yet made manifest. Why? Because nature is flawed and weakened. And until we are freed from sin, both now and in future, we will not witness it. Sin has subjected creation to slavery. Sin has subjected us to pain. And the consequences of our flawed nature is suffering. In verse 20, the apostle helps us to see um, the nature of this suffering creation has been subjected to. And when I mean creation, that includes us, human and non-human. You think of the trees, you think of the ocean, you think of any other thing that is non-human. Creation, in its fullness, is subjected to futility. The intended harmony between created things is not there. You think what you are seeing is beautiful? Wait until what is to be revealed is made known to us. We are not experiencing suffering, friends, and pain today because we want to. We suffer because that's what sin has brought. Sin brings suffering and pain. And we can even further 
uh, buttress this point, if we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, we see where God placed a curse on creation due to the sin of Adam and Eve. Let me read Genesis 3, 17 to 19 for us. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Paul is referring to the curse that came upon creation when mankind sinned. And using that, we see Paul giving us three marks of the fallen condition of creation. The first is, in verse 20, creation is subjected to futility, nothingness, frustration. Creation is subjected to no value, emptiness. Creation is not what it ought to be or what it was created to be. It means creation is not serving us as it ought to serve us. Because God's plan for us is to live in harmony with creation. But because of sin, it is not as beautiful and great as it is meant to be. The second mark we see in verse 21, creation lies in decay, lies in bondage. Corruption. Nature is now caught up in a cycle of death and decomposition. Because of sin, death is introduced. We will die. And death is not a good thing. Through death, we experience pain. And the third mark we see is that creation groans in pain. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pain of childbirth. That's what Paul writes. Whereas we see this pain of childbirth, look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16a. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. You shall bring forth children. And in pain, you shall bring forth children. Paul's emphasis is here is that frustration and decay of creation are accompanied by pain and suffering. I would not, again, pretend to have experienced the pain of childbirth. However, while I was preparing this sermon, I asked my wife. Um, we have two kids, so I, ha I asked her, and I have a picture of uh, my wife in labor during the birth of our first child. And I asked her to describe the pain of childbirth for me. And her response is that, can one really describe it? It is agonizingly painful. Childbirth is painful. <laughs> this is the kind of pain creation has been subjected to. But here is what's interesting. The point of that illustration is not the severity of the pain. The point of it is the result. Childbirth is painful with a purpose because something amazing is coming. A new life, a new member of the family, 
The hope of every mother experiencing the pain of childbirth is the hope that they will hold their baby. That, this is Paul's emphasis, that after pain comes hope. And isn't that what we see in verse 21? That the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is hope for creation because the one who subjected creation to futility is the only one who can set it free from its bondage. So when Christ comes back, friends, the cause and the effect of the fall will be fully reversed. The gospel message is a message of hope and redemption. And as fellow heirs with Christ, we have hope today. We have hope today as children of God. We also have hope for the future glory that is to be revealed. Why? Because Christ, the promised Messiah, the suffering king, the one who suffered, died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, fulfilling the cycle of salvation, he is our hope. He is our hope. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Believers have hope. And I think that's our third point. Believers suffer in hope for glory. And we'll see this in verses 23 to 25. See, somewhere else in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul describes the groaning of the children of God as the groaning desiring mortal, mortal body. We desire immortal body. And you see, when Adam and Eve sinned in, in the garden in Genesis 3, one thing that happened was that their physical eyes was opened, but their spiritual eyes was closed. They have always been naked. But because of the impact of, impact of sin, their physical eyes were now open to see that they were naked. And we know that this nakedness is accompanied by death if we read Genesis. And the Bible tells us that God made for Adam and Eve a garment of skin and clothed them. But as God's children, we know that a covering with a garment requires sacrifice, killing of an animal, shedding of blood. But we also know that the blood of the bull and animal cannot save us. It cannot give us hope. But what we are seeing is a pointer to the ultimate sacrifice that would happen on the cross. The covering we lost in creation through the sin of Adam and Eve, we have received in the Creator on the cross. Yes, we groan for the final redemption of our body, but we do that in hope. A hope in Christ is something that we can count on. A hope in Christ does not put us to shame. So looking at our text, the scripture shows us two things here about the hope. The first is that we have the present hope. We have hope today. Not only is the whole creation groaning, but we who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan inwardly. We have received the Spirit. We have received the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
the hope we have today is that as believers, we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God in us. The Spirit helps us to persevere in suffering. The Spirit comforts us. The Spirit assures us that we are children of God and that in our suffering we can hope. We have hope for today. Another kind of hope is the future hope. The Paul uses the phrase, yet to be revealed. So meaning not now. There is a future hope that would happen, but that will not happen in this present time. He's saying that the ultimate reward of our suffering that we experience in this present time will not be revealed in this present time. But on the last day, as children of God, we will be the center stage. We will be revealed. Creation is waiting in anticipation He shared the same thought as we read verse 19. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Friends, well, as we read in 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The same God who subjected the whole creation to futility subjected it in hope. The future hope is this. One day, we will finally be free. We will be free from groaning. We will be free from pain. The whole creation will be set free. And for Christians, the pain that you experience in this life is not a pain without purpose. Our pain is a pain with purpose. The end is in sight. The and while we suffer here, church, we won't suffer in heaven. There is hope. While we deal with our sin and the effect that it has on us and those around us, we won't deal with it in heaven. Heaven will be a place of an unending joy and happiness when the sons of God are revealed. And we will say, it's worth it. And we read in verse 24 to 25, it shows us that this hope gives us patience in suffering. Do you notice the tension there? We are eagerly awaiting all that God has promised us, but we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. And I've remarked three, three application points on how we can wait patiently. One is that we persevere in hope. We endure through challenges and trials with perseverance because we have the indwelling of the Spirit in us. It is true that waiting often involves setbacks and hardship. But let's trust that God is using that to refine us. He's using that to prepare us for the glorious future. Another way we can wait patiently is being part of a community. We have so many communities and community groups scattered around this, the country. Let's make it a point of duty to be part of one. Join a community. Do life together while you wait. 
be part of the women's study group, be part of the equipping classes, join the men's breakfast, come to church, be part of a community. That's how you can wait patiently because truly suffering is pain and we need one another. And the last application point there is for you to set your eyes on things above. Shift your focus from the temporary circumstances and the satisfaction you are seeking here. Set your eyes on things above where tears will be wiped away. Friends, we are waiting. We are hoping for the fulfillment of what God has promised. We are waiting for the fulfillment of what Jesus has won on the cross for us. Our final adoption as sons, we are waiting. And the redemption of our bodies, we are waiting. We are all men, women, boys, girls. We are waiting for the unending joy in heaven. Where there will be no more anguish. Where there is no more pain. Where there is no more death. And when we will see all that God is in the face of Christ, we will all say it is worth it. We are waiting. So when an unbeliever raises a question to you as a believer, why do you suffer? You can confidently remind them that our suffering is not without hope. There is hope. And as we pray for the healing and comfort to our present day suffering, as the Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray, may we not lose hope on what is to be revealed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because your word is true. So we pray, O oh God, that would you continue to give us the, the, the heart and the strength to persevere in pain. Help us to continue to trust in your power even as we wait. We pray this in Jesus' name.